Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. days of prayer and fast. Doesn't it feel good in here? It, it, I just feel the presence of the Lord and um, I'm thankful for that. It's 21 days of prayer and fasting and I just want to encourage you if, uh, if you are in the middle of that, just keep pressing in, keep leaning into what God is doing in your life um, and give yourself grace. If you fell off the bandwagon a little bit, if you made a commitment that you didn't keep, don't beat yourself up. No shame. There's no condemnation in Jesus. You get up, you brush the dust off your feet, and you just keep moving forward. Or maybe you made too big of a commitment, and you realize this is probably more than I should have made. Um, for some of you, maybe consider whether or not you should have made it. Maybe, maybe you should have, and you should stick with it. And for some of you, maybe it is too much, and so you should say, I'm going to make sure that, that what I commit to God, I'm going to be able to keep doing. This is something that um, I made a commitment to a long time ago when I was about 18 years old. I said, I'm going to live for God. I guess I was about 20 years old. I said, I'm going to live for God at a pace that I'll never have to stop. And so I'll never be the fanciest or the flashiest or the, or, or, or the fastest, but I'll never stop running. The Bible says the race is not given to the swift, but to the one that endures until the end. And so um, I'm, just, I'm just planning on being here till Jesus comes or until I go. So last week we ended our, we're in the middle of a, a collection of messages that is uh, something I've never done before. Our content team last fall when we got together and we're talking through things, through this idea out here. And I, I um, at first I didn't really, um, I wasn't like a huge raving fan just because it does not lean into who I am. I, I, I tend to be more of a preacher and, uh, and what we're doing is we're just talking through the Bible. And so as a preacher, I'm like, I wish I could make it a little more like, ah, you know. Um, but I think it's just, it just feels so good. I'm just really enjoying this. So last week, if you were here, we ended the service by memorizing a Bible verse and planting that thing in our heart. You guys remember that? Okay, let's check and see if you do. Here we go. <clears throat> Starts with the word your. You ready? Ready, set, Go. Okay, here's what I think. I think some of you that are really confident need to take it down, and some of you that are not confident need to take it up a little bit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Let's go. Good job. <laughs> all right, here we go. We're going we're gonna to kick this service off with the same thing. We're gonna, if you get nothing else from this message, you're getting the word of God planted in your heart. Are you, are you ready? All right, let's go. Okay, that word, I, I messed up on my slide. And so that word is wait. So I wait. You ready? <clears throat> I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Psalm 135. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Psalm 135. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Psalm 135. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Psalm 135. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Psalm 135. 
I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Psalm 135. Here we go. Let's go. You just planted the word of God down in here. And in times of need, you can reach back in there and pull that out. You know, this is a biblical principle that I'm going to wait on the Lord. Uh, I think often we think, like, I, I need God to answer my prayer right now. But the Bible, especially the Psalms, are filled with this idea that they that wait on the Lord are going to renew their strength. They're, they're going to get stronger. They're going to be able to run faster. They'll be able, be able to, to move forward. In fact, I would say this. When you wait on God, you'll discover that your waiting wasn't so much waiting. That really he was working the whole time. And his perfect timing and his perfect will um, brings about such clarity in our life. So <clears throat> now you have the word of God planted in your heart. David says, so you would not transgress or, or, or sin against the Lord. Um, this, is, um, this is the only way that you do coffee, right here. Anybody know what this is? This is a French press. Some of you guys with your Keurigs, you're so fancy, but you're spending like $10 a box. Did you know that? Did you, did you realize that? Somebody's like, what? My husband's spending how much? <clears throat> yes. Okay, so this is a French press. It's my favorite way to make coffee. Uh, this is kind of my routine just about every morning, and um, I take three, three scoops of coffee and put it in the French press like that. Three. And then what I like to do is I like to take it with some nice hot water. This might be a little too hot, but that's all right. It's an illustration. I like to just pour it in there like that. And it's not ready to drink yet because I will burn my lips and I have sensitive lips. <laughs> well, that's coffee. Uh, well, it's really not coffee yet, is it? It's, um, right now, it's, uh, it's mostly water with a hint of coffee. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Right now, it's, it's, it's really water that has a little bit of coffee in it. Have you ever gone to a diner and, and they brought out coffee? You know what I mean? Sometimes you go there and like, it's pretty much just water that's warm. You know, it's brown water. That's what this is right now. It's, it's brown water. But if I let it sit long enough, if I let it sit long enough, it's, it's going to become coffee. But right now, it's not coffee. Barna Research did a, a study recently. Well, they actually do it every year. And in their, their research, they've done it every year since the 80s. They, they do sort of a poll on the state of Christianity. And in their research, they discovered that as of this year, 14% of professing Christians actually read their Bible every day. Fourteen percent of people who claim to follow Jesus Christ read their Bible every day. And 44% of professing Christians read their Bible rarely or never. I would say that it looks like a lot of water that has a hint of coffee in it, but it's not coffee. And I know there's some of you that are on Coffee Fest right now. Enjoy. I, I threw out uh, on Instagram, I, I threw out a post this week, and I just asked uh, who, who's reading their Bible. And of the people that responded, well, number one, the vast majority of people did not respond, which I think is also an answer. <laughs> it's like, I know he can see the answer, he can see what I vote here, so I'm not, I'm not going to put it on there. So of our church, it looks like we, there's lots of people, it says 50% are reading their Bible daily, 55% reading it daily, weekly. 20%. Occasionally, it was actually 22% because there were some more votes after this. And then rarely or never was 5%. And that looks really good. Like, ah, we're amazing. But really, most people didn't vote because they didn't want to give their answer. And number two, um, pretty much 
most of the dailies were friends of mine that are pastors from out of town. Uh, which is also telling, right? So, so ours looks a lot better than Barna, but I would say in reality, probably not. Probably not. And today, my, my hope is this. is um, I know we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and usually I, I, I want to preach, but my, my real hope is this, church. I, I want you to come through this season of life, this, this year, not just being water with some coffee grounds in you, but I want you coming out like coffee. I want you to come out with the word of God in you, like a part of you, infused into your life. That's, that's really my hope for you. So <clears throat> if you were to get the word of God infused into your life, if you, if you were to allow it to become part of who you are, the very first thing you need to do is this. You need to choose a translation of the Bible you like. What do you mean choose a translation I like? Like, isn't there only one authorized translation of the Bible? Yeah, there is only one that claims to be the authorized translation of the Bible. But you can choose what translation of the Bible you want to read. And this brings up the question, maybe you're, you're not a believer and you're in the room and you're like, that's exactly my point. There's so many versions of the Bible. Which one is the one that you guys say is true? Well, the, the word versions is misleading, because what we're actually talking about is translations from original languages. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and then two books of the Bible have portions that are in a language called Aramaic. So it's written in three languages. It was not written in English. The reason why English people have what they call versions is because we are a very blessed language. Most languages of the world that have the Bible have a translation from the original texts in one translation. But because English speakers are, are blessed in this area with our scholarship and, and even with our uh, influence and financially tend to be more blessed around the world, we have the ability to have literally dozens of translations into the English language. They're not versions like, um, like versions of the iPhone, like different versions. They're translations from an original text, different translations. And, and in choosing a translation, uh, you kind of need to know what type of translation you want to choose. I'll have people call me and they'll say, hey, Pastor, uh, I'm, I'm buying my husband a Bible. What should I get him? And that's a really difficult question to answer because I don't know where he is. Um, you, you, need, you need to choose what you would read, where you're going to be. So different translation styles. So here's the first. The first type of translation is called a literal translation of the Bible. This is a word-for-word translation of the Bible. So again, it's not written in English. It's written in original languages. One of the first marks of a translation is it is written by a collection of people, or it is translated by a group of academics or scholars that speak the language that come together. It's not, not translated by one person, translated by several dozen people that come together and, and make sure that, that it is accurate to what is being written. This is, this is one of the reasons why the Word of God is it's meant to be read in community, not read only alone by one person. It's translated in community, not translated by an individual. You translate it as an individual, you come up with a cult. <laughs> King James Version of the Bible is, uh, is a, is a word-for-word translation of the Bible. Um, now, it is written word-for-word, translated Greek word and Hebrew word-for-word, with an agenda. So it's word for word, but there's an agenda there. And the agenda is that it would be uh, very floral sounding, very beautiful, eloquent when it comes off the tongue. When you read the King James, it sounds beautiful. It sounds regal. The reason is it was written to be read publicly. Okay? And it is the authorized translation of the Bible. Authorized by King James. who also did bad things. Okay. <clears throat> the New King James, and, and I, this, that's the translation I grew up with. Anybody grew up with King James? Yeah, come on, let's go. 
So the New King James translation of the Bible is, um, it's really not a translation, but it is. Okay, so a translation goes back to the original texts and writes the words. New King James did not do that. New King James is really an edit of a translation. So what they edited was all the these, thous, thuses, and thines. Okay, they made it more palatable to a modern English speaker to read it. It's still legitimate as a translation, but it is technically an edit of a translation. Uh, NASB is a, is a very uh, strong, it's probably the, the strongest word-for-word translation of the original languages. And then there is the uh, English Standard Version. That's, that's the one I tend to preach from. It's the one I tend to read when I'm studying. The English Standard Version has the, accord, like based on today's access to original text and today's scholarship, it has the highest level of scholarship available. Um, and it is a, it's an accurate word-for-word translation of the Bible. Someone asked me after the first service, uh, what about the Amplified? So if, if you've been around church, some, some of you are like, I'm new to this, I've never been to church in my life, why are we talking about this? Just hang on. And <clears throat> the Amplified, if you've ever read an Amplified Bible, it is a word-for-word translation, but what it does is it dives so much into the word-for-word possible meanings that it kind of misses the forest for the trees sometimes. Because it, it gives you a miniature word study all the way through the text, all possible meanings, and it misses one key important element in translation. So it's good to do, but it misses something that the next sort of translations gets. Because here's the deal. You might ask this question. Well, why, if the NASB is probably the most accurate word for word and the ESV is the most, uh, like the highest level of scholarship word for word, why would I want anything but that? Well, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you an example from Tolstoy. So Tolstoy was a Russian author and he wrote War and Peace. And it, it was written in Russian and it's been translated into English several times. There's a passage in Tolstoy that, um, that in, in that passage, many English translators have translated it that raindrops fell, or they have translated it to say rain falls, or it rains. But it was originally written in Russian. And so there was an English translator of Tolstoy that said, I chose to use different words than raindrops fell, different words than rain falls, and different words than it rained, because of what Tolstoy did in Russian. So in Russian, all my Russian speakers, forgive me, he says, kapli kapali, which means rain drops fall. Kapli kapali. And so the English translator changed the word slightly, and he said, drops dripped, drops And the reason he did it was because Tolstoy was giving a form of the language, kapli kapali, kapli kapali. He's making rain drop sounds with the word, kapli kapali, kapli kapali. And so the translator says, oh, he's actually trying to bring us there. And so I will say, drops dripped, drops dripped, drops dripped. So the translator's not sticking word for word. He's looking at the form and the intent of the writer, trying to bring that out as well. Staying true to the text, but trying to make sure the form is there as well. So when we see that, that's called a dynamic equivalent translation of the Bible. It's, instead of word for word, it's thought for thought. It still is, it's still using the original languages. It's still a group of translators working together but they're, they're trying to get at the intent of the language form behind it. Some, some examples would be the New Living Translation of the Bible. I love this translation. It's a very easy translation to read. It is a legitimate translation of Scripture. Uh, another would be the, the God's Word, the, um, the TEV, and the NIV. The NIV is a dynamic equivalent. It is not a word-for-word translation. But the NIV is the best-selling translation of the Bible since 1985. And it gives a great great insight into form. And this is why when you read, for those of you that grew up reading New King James, or King James, 
the text always looked the same on the pages. It always looked the exact same. But when you read like the NIV, you'll see that portions of it are pulled out and centered or italicized and maybe brought down. The reason is because the ones that are writing in with this, their, their motive is to get you to see the form. So if it's a poem, they're going to pull the poem centered and separate. So you can realize I'm not reading literal, like a, like a command, I'm reading a poem. I'm reading a song right now. This is a song of rejoicing. So that, that's why. The next uh, type of translation is not a translation at all. It's called a paraphrase. And right now, uh, some of you may have um, done a lot of YouTube and Google scholarship. And, and right now you're thinking like, down with the paraphrases. No, you've you got to understand why a paraphrase was written. Paraphrases are not bad. They're just not translations from an original text. So they're not scholarly. They were never intended to be scholarly. The biggest difference between a paraphrase and a translation is a translation has a group of scholars that come together to translate it. A paraphrase is usually one person taking an English version of the Bible and making it palatable to a group of people. So an example of that is the Living Bible. Down with the Living Bible, down with the Living Bible. It's just not accurate. It's not accurate because the man that wrote it wrote it so that his children could understand the Bible. It would be the same thing as you sitting down with your child, reading the Bible, and then taking all the time to circle back around and say, now what that means is, this is why when you buy your child, you buy a seven-year-old a Bible, it's going to be the living Bible. It's not because we're trying to teach little kids bad doctrine. It's because it was intended to be written at like a second-grade level. Okay? Uh, another example would be the Passion Translation or the passion, it says translation, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. It's off the English, it's not off the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And then the message, Eugene Peterson from Montana, a uh, good intermountain guy, uh, he, he did the message. Now the message is very unique. It is technically a paraphrase, but it is also technically a translation. <laughs> Here's why. Eugene Peterson was actually a scholar. He taught at Regent College in Van Vancouver, British Columbia. And he, he, trans or he, he translated the Bible from the original text, but he, like, he like paraphrased from the original text so that his congregation, a bunch of people in Montana, could understand it. <laughs> Looking at you, Engstrom. So, so that's why it's written at a very blue-collar level. Does that make sense? It's written at a blue-collar level because it's, be, um, it's not trying to be like some sort of scholarly work. It's trying to make it accessible to a group of people. Um, and so for me, when I read the Bible, the, the translations I'm typically going to use are going to be the English Standard Version if I'm, if I'm studying. But if I'm just reading my Bible, I'm going to read either the New Living Translation or the Message. So for me, it's one out of each of these categories. It's going to be the, uh, the word for word. If I'm studying, it'll, it'll be the dynamic or the functional equivalent if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm just reading or a paraphrase, the message. Um, and, and the reason is because, now I do have some, I, I, did, I did study, so I, I can, I can take all the time and I can waste all my time as a pastor trying to, to work through original languages, but that's not, that's not really where my job is. But I can discern original languages, and you can discern the intent of original languages by looking at a comparison of translations. So what I mean is this. Watch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, one passage out of each of those sections, word for word, thought for thought, and idea for idea. This is in the King James Version of the Bible, the authorized. You've got to read it with an English, trans, trans, uh, English accent. If you can do Scottish, it's even better. So... <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay? So when I read that, and I know I was teasing around, but when I read that, I beseech you. I do not remember the last time I've heard any of you use that word. I've also never heard any of you say the word brethren. But he says, I, I beseech you, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and it's a reasonable service. So it's this, it, when I read it, there's a sense that I'm supposed to be a living sacrifice to God, and it's a duty. Now I'm going to compare that to a dynamic equivalent. Let's see what the, now the author here is pulling out what the original text's um, motive is behind it, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, so they got up, brethren, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, not just acceptable, barely acceptable. Now, it's pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So now I'm seeing a nuance that was not in the other other translation. I'm seeing the nuance that we're talking not just about like I'm a sacrifice to God and I'm barely acceptable. Now the, now it's saying it's actually worship to God. Okay, so this is different. This is something I'm, I'm offering as worship. And then when I read uh, the message, he's going to, again, he's from the original languages, but he's paraphrasing the, the bigger thought. He says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So now I'm seeing, oh, we're, we're talking about, not like I have to find some weird way to sacrifice myself while I'm alive. We're saying that my normal life, like what I'm already doing with my life, like the, the things I already have planned with life, the, the plans I already have, I can use those things to make God glorified. It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, so choose a translation you like. Okay, next thing. Like we're starting to get, we're starting to get some coffee in here. Like it's not, it's not all the way coffee, but it's getting there. It's getting there. Because you are what you allow to be in your life. You are what you allow to be in your life. So the first thing is get yourself a translation that you would like. The second thing I'm going to tell you is this, is, is get yourself a study Bible. Get yourself a study Bible. There is, there's a whole new world that opens up to you when you have not just the Bible, but you have a Bible that includes some commentary, some thoughts, some resources. You find when you get a study Bible, often the bottom half of the page is going to open up new ideas or new thoughts. It's going to maybe have somebody uh, kind of taking you through the, the exegetical thought of the passage. It just opens up your world. So for me, this looked like when my brother-in-law and my sister, when they bought me a, a Thompson Chain reference Bible when I was on my 18th birthday. When I got that, it was like the word of God was suddenly like, oh, it's more than just this. Now I'm seeing how everything connects together because it connects it all, showing you that this passage is referencing this, but it shows you so much more. Some good study Bible options are these. Like the Life Application Bible. It's a great study Bible. Easy to read. And you're going to have a wealth of knowledge about the Bible in your hands. Because ultimately, I want you to be more than just water that tastes like coffee. I want you to be coffee. The next is a a great one. The the Spirit-Filled Life Bible is a study Bible. It's going to take you through the Word of God. Like, that might be a great option for you, the spirit-filled life. And you may be sitting here and you're like, but preacher, you don't understand. I'm a business owner. I have no time for all of this. No. Then what you need is the John Maxwell Leadership Bible. <laughs> Listen, there's a reason why the Chinese government pays massive amounts of money to Christian seminarians and Christian pastors to go teach Christian principles in their business schools. Because the Chinese government, through their research, has recognized that people with a Judeo-Christian ethic are the wealthiest people on the planet. And so to make their businesses more successful, they immerse them in the biblical teaching of business. And when they do this, we turn them into Christians. So it could be that you take the John John Maxwell Leadership Bible and you... You take some leadership principles out of that, and you begin to teach your team leadership principles from the Word of God, and you'll discover that you're not only making your business more successful, but you're also having the people in your business grow in their life. And you could probably write it off. (laughs) Let's go. 
right off a truck, right off a Bible, somebody. <laughs> Next thing is this. Oh, let me, let me stop. A, a couple other resources that you may like, and these are on our website. So if you go to our website, there's a link for like books and stuff. You can go there and, and it'll be a direct link to all of these books so you can find them. So this right here is how to read the Bible for all it's worth. If you want to grow and become coffee this year, take some time to, to find a book like this. This is, this is a fantastic book written by uh, Dr. Gordon Fee about how to read the Bible. It's just going to be a simple, easy to read book. Probably a better one is How Not to Read the Bible <laughs> by Dan Kimball. How not to because uh, people that read it wrong, uh, they make cults. You can find those on our website through the link. Get them. Just start, start going through those books. It's, it's good for you. The next is this. You need to get in a small group. You get in a small group because the Bible was not originally meant to be read alone. It was meant to be read as a group and discussed. It's, it's, a, it's an advantage that we have that we're able to read the Bible alone. We're an educated population. We have many translations but the best way to read the Bible is with other people. You're going to discover that they're a lot smarter than you thought they were. They're a lot smarter than they look. Because they're able to hear from God together as we read the Bible. So we read it in groups. So groups kick off. February 12th. Groups kick off here around celebration. And I would say this. If you're wanting to grow in your understanding of the word of God... Choose a small group that has to do with Bible study. We offer small groups all sorts. We have activity small groups, all kinds of fun stuff. But I would say if you want to really focus on becoming coffee, get in a Bible study small group, okay? And for, for you, maybe it is, you've learned just through the course of life that you grow in your understanding best when you teach. This is something I've learned. When I teach something, I learn it better. I learned this all the way back when I was doing youth ministry, there's like just, just learning to teach stuff. You're like, oh, now I have a better grasp of it because I actually had to learn it because I had to be in front of people's. <laughs> so you want to you lead a small group. Well, understand that around here we do have requirements of our small group leaders. So you're going to have to go through those requirements. But we also have plenty of curriculum that we can point you towards, we can guide you through, we can lead you in to help make it, make it an easy step for you to be able to lead a small group and study the Word of God. In fact, we have a small group leader training coming up on February 5th, and, uh, and if you're wanting to lead a small group, you need to get into the small group leader training. The way you can do that is either contact Derek, who if I have, he's raising his hand, it's the white hand against the black wall, that's, that's all, that's all, that's Derek, <clears throat> um, or... <laughs> Or you can go on our website, and there's a, there's a link there for that. <clears throat> get, get in a small group. That's, that's how we, we grow in the Word of God. Because here's what's going on. Because now we actually get in coffee, aren't we? N now what we're looking at here is not water that has a hint of coffee. We're reading the Bible in a translation we can understand. We are getting ourselves a study Bible so we can learn more about the Word of God. We're reading the Bible with other people, and I'm telling you, what's going on is we're becoming coffee. That's good coffee for all my coffee fasters. You chose poorly. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> so, so, you chose well. You heard from God. Like, I'm sure it was a stronghold. Okay, so... <clears throat> The Bible was written over 1,600 years in over a dozen different countries. It was written on three different continents. It was written in three different languages. It was, it was written by poets. It was written by prophets. It was written by farmers. It was written by kings. It was written by soldiers, by shepherds, by business leaders, by princes, by priests. It was written in caves, it was written in farms, it was written in palaces, it was written in prisons, it was written in deserts. Like, the Bible is, it was written by so many people from like 1500 BC to about 100 AD, like, like so many different people. And, and my question is, how then do we get one congruent story 
from people that never met each other, that lived in different continents, that lived in different countries, under different governments, speaking different languages. How do we get one congruent story that goes together as a whole? Well, well, the easy answer is the word inspiration. The easy answer is that we believe the Bible, and it actually claims to be inspired of God. But, but what does that actually mean? There's several different theories, and so here are a couple. One is this, that the Bible is inspired in as much as it is a profound book with great natural insights that were made by the ones who wrote it. So it's, it's, it's profound, it's, it's inspired, like it's good in the same way that Confucius is great. It was written, the people that wrote it, they just had great insight into the world around them. They were just wise people writing this book. That's possible. I don't think you would get a congruent book over 1,600 years with the variety of things there, if that was the case. But that's possible. The next is that it is inspired by God himself. In the same way that God inspires believers today to give words of, uh, words of affirmation to each other or to preach on a Sunday or to lead a Bible study, in that same way that we can be inspired to, to help each other around us, it was inspired in that way. It's, it's possible that that's what we're talking about. That, that could be. Another idea, it's called the dynamic theory, and it gives this idea that that the thoughts or the bigger concepts are from God and the ideas are divinely inspired by God, but the, the words, the, all, all the words are human. It's basically humans getting an idea from God and then running with it. It's inspired in that sense, but really just flawed and human in a completely different sense. And then the most common that we, we turn to, because we recognize those don't really capture what the scripture says about itself, one we often turn to is that it is completely inspired with no human volition, meaning no human will behind it. And so, so what that theory is suggesting is that the Bible is inspired to the point that the, the writers go into a trance, and they're basically like, They just become God's typewriter. God's just and they're just like well. If we look at what the scripture, how the scripture describes its own inspiration, I think we can get a clear picture of of what we mean by inspiration. Here's three texts. The first is Second Corinthians chapter two, verse seventeen. It says this. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So he's saying, he uses this phrase, peddlers of God's word and being commissioned by God's. So a peddler, like an art peddler, somebody that's got a stockpile of art and they're peddling art. They're just trying to get art out there. But someone that's commissioned to do art is someone that somebody has said, this is exactly what I want you to paint. This is what I want you to make. And so here's your canvas. Begin making. And so he's saying we're commissioned by, by God. And then he says this, and we're in the sight of God. So not only is it not we have a bunch of good ideas we're peddling, it's God gave us this canvas and, and he's commissioned us to make this painting of this thing but also, we're in the sight of God. We're, God's with us. Have you ever tried to work for someone, like, the, like you're trying to work on a job site or something, and the owner of the job is like sitting there just like telling you how to do it? Like you're trying to build a staircase, and the owner's like, ah, I wouldn't have done that way. Like, <laughs> the worst thing in the world is when you're working, trying to build a shed, and, and, and the owner's watching you build the shed. That's how he describes God inspiring him with his word. That there's this commissioned painting he's building and God is with him making sure it's done right. Here's another text and this is classic Paul. Anytime we get on the subject of relationships, the apostle Paul starts to tiptoe. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 40. 
Yet in my judgment, he's, he's talking about uh, marriage and divorce. He, said, he says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, as I think I have the spirit of God on this too, right? <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's like, ah, he, he's like writing, he's writing the word of God and then you'll see him pause. There'll be times when there'll be brackets in your Bible and he'll be like, ah, this is from me. This isn't good. This, this is what I think about the issue. Um, and I think I have God on this too. So, so the, you see that the apostle Paul, as he's writing, He's not doing this. Ah. He's actually saying, I'm, I'm certain that God's in this area, but on this one thing here, I just this seems like wisdom from me, but I really don't know that God is speaking to this. So there's some human interaction going on there. And then I'll give you a third passage that gives the other side of this triangulation of what's going on. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we read Peter, Peter's making it very clear that like the... I'm, I'm doing this on my own is not the case. Peter's saying, no, 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 God is speaking through these guys. So which is it? Well, what it is, is it's, it's quite simply that God himself is the author of Scripture, but he's working in tandem with human authors. What he's doing is he's, he's using their pains, their life experiences, their vocabulary, their worldview, their political view, all of these things for him to be able to communicate his words. So he's working alongside them, with them. This is why it's so important when you read scripture to know what the author's original intent was. Because the author, as they're writing, they have a purpose. They have something they're trying to write. And if we're not careful, we're, we'll think they're writing to somebody in 2023, and they're not. But who is, is God that is also authoring it. God that is motivating behind, that is inspiring the whole thing. And so there's like this dual thing we see. The author's intent, the, the human author's words, what he's thinking he's writing. Like King David writing about all his laments and pains and frustrations. But what he does not realize is that through his own words, God is prophesying a Messiah that would come from his lineage and would save all people. inspired word of God, but God has this incredible ability to use our own flawed vocabularies, our own limitations, and our own worldviews to communicate his word. The scripture says that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That you may be complete and equipped to raise good kids. That you may be complete and equipped to run a solid business. That you may be complete and equipped to go ask for forgiveness from that person that you think you didn't do wrong to. That you may be complete and equipped so that you can go and you can forgive that person that does not deserve it for every good work. So you can stand for those that, that need someone to stand. That's why it was written. So when we read the Bible, form is important. If you do not understand the form of what you're reading, you will not understand the content of what you're reading. So you've got to know what you're reading to be able to read it right. So, I'm just breaking this down real quick. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. There we go. In the Old Testament, there are several broad forms. There's law. There's not just law that God brings, but there's also legal documents in the Bible. Legal transactions are in the Bible, um, like contracts. Uh, there's law. There's history. There's contracts. There's poetry. There's wisdom literature. There's prophetic literature. All of these are different types of scripture, and if you... If you read a poem, but you think you're reading a contract, you're going to miss the whole point of the poem. If you, if, you, if, you, 
if you read wisdom literature, but you think you're reading prophetic literature, you're going to miss the point of wisdom. And wisdom in the Bible is a woman, which is beautiful because it's true. I've learned in my life I'm usually wrong. Okay. In the New Testament, there are some different forms. Gospel is, what, is the bible way to say it. The real way to say it is they are biographies of the life of Jesus. They're biographies. They're gospels. They share the good news of who Jesus is. There's history of what the early church looked like. If you've ever wondered, well, which church is the right church? Go read the book of Acts. It's a history of what the church actually looked like. And I guarantee you, it doesn't look like any church you've been to. The epistles are not the wives of the apostles. The epistles are letters written by the, by the early church people, like the early church leaders of the church, to churches in different regions. Basically, you're looking in on an email they would send to everybody to go help them and encourage them in their faith and teach them how to believe, how to have church discipline, how to grow, like all that kind of stuff. And then there's apocalyptic literature, which is basically like crazy heavenly vision of what God's doing in the future, just like drastic, massive, crazy, blow your mind writing. Okay, it's you got to know the form. And if you're reading your Bible and you don't, you don't really know where to start, and you don't know what form you're in. I would encourage you to get this book by Eugene Peterson called *The Invitation*. All it is is a one-page introduction to each book of the Bible. And it will just give you the brief introduction to what's going on and how you're supposed to take this one in. Very simple, easy to read. I want you to become coffee. So when you read the Word of God, you will encounter God as the band will come. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints in the marrow. It says, it says, the word of God is living and active. I'm telling you, as you, as you begin to let the word of God in your life, you're going to discover that you will find God is alive and active inside of his word. You'll read a passage of scripture and three months later you'll read the same thing and think, oh, I did not. It's, it's, it's approaching me in a completely different way. You will discover God. The word is not God, but you will discover God through it. Now, when you read your Bible, you will also encounter your own heart. Here's what it says, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is one of those spots where a different translation clears things up. I, I used to read this and think, the word of God is a sword. It's just going to cut through me. It's going to break my bones. Eugene Peterson pulls out the thought here. And the thought is, he says... It's a scalpel. So not, it's not that he's bashing through you to divide you. It's that he's a scalpel. He can separate the division of your joints and your marrow. He can separate your thoughts from your intentions. The, the word of God will lay you open for God to be able to work on the inside of your heart. The areas of you that you didn't even recognize were there. The resentments, the biases, the pains, the heartache. The word of God will separate you. Here's what Tim Keller says. He says, for years I thought God could be active in my life through the Spirit. And the Bible was a book I had to obey if God was going to come in. I now realize the Bible is the way that, through the Spirit, God is active in my life. So, that's great, Pastor. That, that's, that's great. You talked about the Bible, but what does that mean in my practical everyday living? Well, what it means is you, you've, you've got to create a habit of getting into the Word of God. For some people, that's going to be more time, and for some, it's less. Charles Duhigg, in his book, The Power of Habit, tells us how to create a new habit. We create habits in our life through using a cue, a routine, 
and their reward. This may not be yours, but this is a very common cue, routine, and reward for the Word of God. It would look like this. You get up in the morning, you have your time and your place with God. You sit down in your chair. Find your spot. It's your cue. And then you have a routine. The routine looks like your Bible reading plan. The way that you accomplish reading the Bible. For some, it could be a digital app. For some, it could be a something in your Bible. You've got a Bible you're reading. For me, it looks like the Moravian Daily Text. And today, I'm just going to read to you what the watchword is for this week. The Moravian Text gives you a word to kind of keep in your spirit for the week. Here's what it is. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. And then it goes on and has the other passages. And if I was reading this, I would, I would pray over that watchword and I'd say, God, God, today, what is it that you're telling me to know? Like, you're, you're letting me know that this week you're faithful and you're going to watch over me this week. So that's part of my routine. And then my routine would look like taking a, a pen and just writing down your thoughts. You don't have to be super smart, be Bible educated, just write down what your thoughts are. Write them down. That's a cue, a routine, and then, yeah, you know it. That's the reward right here. Because now, I, I, I've gone from just being water with a hint of coffee but I've allowed it to set long enough that I'm actually coffee. I'm actually what I want to be. And that, that's a real reward. No one that gets the rewards from the Word of God, <clears throat> the real rewards from the Word of God, no one gets it without actually being in the across the room. I know this is not the, the preaching you're probably used to, but oh, what it would be if we were people of the Word of God, steeped in His presence, cultured by His Word. Can I pray over you right now? Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your power and your presence would be in this room and in these people, that as we go forth, that we would not just go out unchanged, but God, we would be tempered by your word, that we would allow your word to search our hearts, to know us, to speak to us, and to transform us. We love you today, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.